we have the pleasure to be joined right now by Buster Olney, insider at uh, ESPN covering uh, Major League Baseball. Buster, is actually, uh, you're the first one that I heard mention Mickey Calloway to the Mets at all uh, this past offseason when you, you were on with Sal and I. So it's, it's a great pleasure to have you on again. How's everything? Well, I'm doing great. Thank you for uh, for remembering that. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, you know, for me, if someone who's known Mickey for a while, I, I'm sure uh, he feels like he's got his hands full. <laughs> yeah, we, we were both extremely impressed by Mickey. We had a chance to interview him uh, a couple times this off season, but it has uh, it, it's been rough. I, you know, I, I, you, I guess, uh, do, do you expect a run up to just handling managing a National League team? After spending an entire career in the American League, because I think more than anything, that's something that he has had uh, some issues with. Yeah, and and I'm sure that the Mets uh, probably realized that when they signed on. I mean, those are you know he was. I remember the first time we had him on Sunday Night Baseball this year. He told that story about how he went out to the mound and he you know and and Dave Island sort of whispering in his ear, "Well, you got a signal for the pitcher, uh, relief pitcher when when another pitcher had gotten hurt on the mound." I think it was Swarzak, and then um, when he was about ready to leave, Dave was like, "Yeah, you got to stay here because uh, you guys, someone's got to hand the ball to the pitcher who's coming in." And then he forgot to bring out his lineup card, and so he asked the umpire for his lineup card. And Mickey told us that story with a sense of humor, but that's the practical reality as well. And with the benefit of twenty twenty hindsight, I do wonder if they had, uh, if they, the Mets. Uh, regret not having more National League presence on their coaching staff because I do think there probably have been some times when that experience would have helped. Well, that would be the next question, Buster. And, and look, we liked Mickey at the time. Pete talked about it uh, or thought it was a good hire. Uh, his inexperience certainly has shown a lack of experience in this city, not only just as a first-time manager but dealing with New York. Post-game press conference has been rough. But, yeah, why would they hire? They knew what they were getting in a first-time guy why then would DeSarcina be the choice on the bench when he has been inept too? I mean, they, they, they had to have known better going into a year where they're expected to win. Now there's not a total rebuild. First-time manager not familiar with New York. Maybe the bench coach uh, should be called into question here. Or, or, or some other. I, I got to tell you that a lot of times, you, you know, when uh, teams put together coaching staffs, they try to get guys who can compliment. If you have a young manager, you know, uh, for example, when Joe Torre took over the Yankees and I was covering the team, uh, Don Zimmer was brought in because he had experience. And so Torre wanted someone that he could rely on who had managed before. And Zim had experience in New York. Um, you know, on down the line, when teams do these, uh, you know, have coaching staffs, they always try to find the guys who can balance it. And that's why at the time, I remember when they announced the staff, I was like, wow, I thought for sure that they would hire uh, a bench coach or some other coach on the uh, who maybe Mickey could turn to in those situations and say, okay, what's the, what a possible double switch you might look at here? How can we do this? How can we do that? And I don't mean to bang on Gary. I mean, he's a respected coach. Sure. But I, I did think at the time uh, that, uh, it, that, that that was an omission. And I, let's face it, I think that there's a chance they probably would address it at the end of this year to try to get more balance. Yeah, uh, certainly we're chatting with Buster Olney right now. Uh, insider at ESPN covering Major League Baseball. And uh, we brought you on to talk more big-picture things with, with the Mets here. As far as where they are, and, and we've been arguing about it uh, all night and really the last couple of weeks, do, do you think the Mets, are they a couple of quick fixes away from competing again next year? You know, Based on the people you talk to within the game, what direction should the Mets be going? We understand probably seller in the short term, but even going beyond that. 
Yeah, that they probably need to be looking for an overhaul. Uh, and and that's not to say that the Mets, I mean, they're in New York, and so you're not going to have a tank job like uh, you, you've seen in a lot of other cities. But I do think they're probably at a point where they have to start looking at, you know, three, four, five-year plans. And that's why they should, at the very least, take DeGrom and Syndergaard into the marketplace and say, okay, we're thinking about taking offers. What do you give us for these guys? Because in all likelihood, by the time the Mets, uh, in a division where you have the Nationals, who I know there's been an assumption that once Bryce Harper leaves that the window might be over, I've I've never agreed with that because they got Max Scherzer and Strasburg and now some other young position players. Juan Soto is certainly impressive. The Braves are rebuilding. The Phillies are rebuilding. I do think if you're the Mets, you have to look at it and say, okay, what's the best way we can position ourselves for 2021, 2022? And, oh, by the way, that's after DeGrom could reach free agency, after, you know, Syndergaard having his injury history. We don't know where he's going to be at that point, which is part of the reason why I think you absolutely – have to take them into this market. And, oh, by the way, it's a very uh, poor starting pitching market. So if the Mets take those guys out there, I guarantee you they would get huge offers for them because there are not a lot of alternatives. Talked to a GM with a, a National League team today, and he said, man, it, 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 that arms race that you're having in the American League East, American League uh, West, um, in all likelihood those teams are going to be battling each other like crazy in the trade market. Mets could take advantage of that. Well, and this is what I was looking at recently was a top prospects list, and I don't see a lot of teams with those top prospects that would be great fits for Jacob deGrom right now. Could you actually, when you, you start diving into this, is there a deal where the Mets could get something close to equal value? Can they get three or four current young major leaguers slash uh, high-level prospects uh, from the same team, does that exist out there in your mind? Yes, it does. Uh, and look, I think that when you you know consider possible teams, I think the St. Louis Cardinals could be an intriguing option. They have a volume of young pitching, and you know the one thing they lack at this point is okay. Once Adam Wainwright leaves, you need a guy who's going to be a complement to a Carlos Martinez, and you know so they could potentially get involved. I do think the Dodgers, who have a volume of guys, they could get involved. And there's no doubt about it, the Yankees could put together a heck of an offer. They're incredibly motivated, and I say all that knowing. I think there's almost no chance that those teams make a trade. Uh, We saw last August, I mean, just in a uh, deal involving Jay Bruce that, that really didn't involve much more than a transfer of money, the two sides wound up in a spat over it. And I think that gives you some insight into whether or not the Yankees and Mets can make a major trade involving DeGrom. I think there's no chance. You know, Buster, here's the problem I have. I understand why guys like yourself and why other people are talking about potentially trading Syndergaard DeGrom. I understand it. But you talk about a rebuild for, okay, 21-22 because of the landscape of the NL East. Well, guess what? I I had to sit through 2011, 12, 13, 14, and I was sold – then the bill of goods about, okay, well, we're rebuilding now for the window of 15, 16, 17, 18. And obviously that has not come to fruition. A fluke World Series appearance in 2015 when they were ahead of schedule. They made the postseason the following year ravaged by injury. Last year a disaster. This year a disaster. A, why would I have any faith in the current regime rebuilding this team? B, why should I as a fan sit through another rebuild four or five years down the road? And you know what? That's all legitimate. I'm not telling you you're wrong in your perspective on that. 
Uh, and, and look, I, when I, I you know, it was around the Mets last weekend, I had conversations with various people about what do you think about the idea of trading Degrom, and it was like, no way, we can't do it because you know, not only do they have a, a general lack of talent in the 25-man roster, and you have so many older players. I think what they're the third oldest team among the position players in baseball. But there's also a question of leadership at this point. And the one thing we know about Jacob DeGrom, he's kind of like his generation's version of Roy Halladay. Remember when Halladay was with the Blue Jays, they weren't necessarily that great. But every time he took the ball, he competed and he led. And he was really important for the franchise in that way. And DeGrom is, uh, I think, important in the same way. The problem is, I think, when you talk to folks with other organizations, they say that there's absolutely uh, very little talent at the top of the Mets farm system. There are, of course, questions about first base, and you know, will Dom Smith translate? There are questions at other spots in the field. There are real questions, I know, within the organization about how uh, invested Cespedes is right now, with two and a half years left on his contract. So that's part of the, my argument for the Mets to at least taking those guys out and getting offers because I think they have to replenish their base of talent. How about the Cespedes thing that you point to? And the Mets were putting a lot of pressure on yep. him, both Sandy Alderson and Mickey Calloway, to get going again. And then, I mean, in typical Mets fashion, and I hate you know making the, the same old jokes, but uh, he ends up re-hurting himself, and it seems that it's something chronic with that uh, quad issue. But in their opinion, this is him sitting back and not having a, a chronic muscle issue? I, I, you know, I wouldn't, and no one went as far with me, yeah. has gone with me to say that, you know, he is not injured and he doesn't have a physical issue. But I'll give you an example, and you guys see this on every home game that the Mets play, uh, the camera will pan the dugout, and who's there? The guy who hasn't played in two years, David Wright. Mm -hmm. He is there making a point of staying. When the cameras pan the dugout when the Mets are at home, do you see Yoenis Cespedes on the days when he's doing rehab? No, you don't. And, and I'm, I'm talking about the days when he's in New York. Uh, you know, I was told that he leaves the ballpark oftentimes before the games start. They need him as the highest paid guy in the organization to be wholly invested in what's going on. And, you know, the exchanges that we saw through the media in the last 10 days, I think gave some insight. First, you had Mickey Calloway mentioning his salary, yep. which for any management person is like a high inside fastball. And I, Mickey's a smart guy. I'm sure he thought about what he was going to say ahead of time. He's trying to send a message. I think Sandy was doing the same. And then Cespedes is saying last week that, hey, and I'm paraphrasing mm -hmm. here, uh, saying in so many words, well, even if I was there, it doesn't matter considering how we're playing. That's not what you want to hear from your highest paid guy. Uh, you want more of, you know, the David Wright type attitude of, hey, you know what? Uh, even if I'm not right, we're going to do everything we can to try to make this work. I'm going to be in the dugout. I'm going to try to lend my experience even if I can't play. Uh, given uh, how important he is to the franchise. Yeah, and look, they knew what they were getting into with Ioannis Cespedes, and they bit the bullet. And I think it was the right move having to yeah. sign him, but they knew what they were getting into making him their franchise guy, which leads me, Buster, to the next thing. Instead of rebuilding, I'd rather restructure. I mean, I know Machado's going to be out there in the offseason. I'd love to see them go all in. There's no reason why they shouldn't. Now, whether they will or not, we all know that that's a different story. How about in the short term for a guy like Real Muto, young all-star catcher? The Mets haven't had a good catcher in 10 years. He's going to be available. The Mets could come up with something to give Florida or Miami for him, what is it going to take to get Real Muto, and do you think it's realistic at all that the Mets would have enough to get him? 
I, I would seriously doubt it based on what I've heard from other teams. Look, I'm, I'm not a, you know, a, a prospect expert, so I ask these questions with folks with other teams, and they tell me that the top of the Mets system is not great. The Marlins, of course, are going to be looking for those type of guys in AA and AAA in any deal. It would be a competitive situation. There are other teams, including the Astros, who probably uh, would be looking for a catcher. I you know, would not be shocked at some point if the Yankees possibly get involved. The Dodgers potentially could get involved because Grandall is moving along toward free agency. And in a competitive situation, I think the Mets are going to be at a disadvantage. I really, because I, I talked about the, you know, the lack of volume of talent in their organization, I think probably the free agent market is the way to go. But the question is, you know, will they go beyond the, this, the payroll level that we've seen in recent years? Mm-hmm. They certainly are not spending in the way that we're seeing other big market teams spend. It is a, a bleak picture uh, that we have painted to the Mets here over well, the last Well, you, you could argue, minutes. Buster, you could argue they spent, they just spent incorrectly. They spent on quantity instead of quality, and that's been the problem. You know, Jason Vargas, Frazier, Bruce, Reyes, Swarzak, yeah. as opposed to Hosmer and Arietta. I mean, that, that's been the problem. They, they haven't spent as much as maybe everybody would like them to, but they have spent. They just misspent the money. Well, there's no doubt that they missed. I mean, and let's face it, if you look at the numbers in in a sport which is increasingly saturated with a bunch of hard-throwing relievers, they now have Jay Bruce. And I I don't know if you guys saw it. I had a piece the other day about uh, his numbers against fastballs at 95-plus. It's ugly. And if you see those numbers and you see the performance this year, there have to be honest questions in the organization about – Okay, what is Jay going to bring for us for the next two years that he's under contract? What are we going to get some out of Cespedes moving forward? What are we going to get out of the, you know, Jason Vargas? You're right. Uh, it feels like that as they made their choices, they bet on different guys, and in a number of cases, the bets are not going to pay off. All right, uh, Buster only. Some great insights uh, on the Mets here, even if uh, they're not the most fun at the moment. But this is the this is the picture of where the Mets are. And uh, Buster, we really appreciate the time tonight. Thank you so much. Thanks, Buster. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys.